Today I want to share two stories with you. One's a very personal story of uh, a, a time where a season changed in my life and there was a dream that was lost in my, in my family's life. The second is out of the book of Genesis, chapter uh, 37 to about 45-ish. And it's the story of Joseph. Uh, and, and it's Joseph's story is part of a larger story. And I'm going to go really fast um, because it is a like six, seven hour movie if it was a movie. And so I'm going to try to keep a high view as we walk through that. And, and as I, I go through, I'll share some timbits. And, and, and my hope at the end, if, you, if you'll allow me, is to be able to just share some reflection. Because what happened is when, when the dream failed in my life, or at least I thought it failed, at, through that journey and as I transitioned into the next season of life that, was, that I was entering into, I had sat down and just started to do some, uh, some writing. I journal in my life. I was uh, doing some blogging and, and some of that's more kind of like journaling, at least at the time it was for me, and, and just wrote down some observations that I'd love to be able to share with us a bit today on what do we do when dreams fail? How do we keep going? Should we keep going? What do we do when we put everything we have into something and it's over? And we are wrestling with who we are and what we are to do. And it doesn't just maybe affect us, but if we have family, it affects them. And so my story begins, it actually, be, the, the part of my story that I want to share actually begins um, when we were living down in Stevensville, which is down near Fort Erie or Buffalo, the Niagara region. We had actually, we had lived in, in the Niagara region for about seven years and we were trying to figure out what to do next in our, in our life. And uh, I, had, I had asked my wife, I said, hey, what, what do you think about me applying for a church in Ottawa? And up to that point, generally speaking, we had lived in Niagara region for, for, for all of our marriage. And we, it was small town. That's what we were used to. Ottawa was a big city. It's not Toronto and all that chaos, but it's a big city. And she looked at me straight in the eyes no way. It is not going to happen. I am not moving to Ottawa. Find something else to do. And so I left it. Continued in my journey to kind of pray, Lord, what do we do? Where do we go? What's this next season of our life look like? Now, I didn't know this at the time, but that church, um, in that, this, from, from that moment of that conversation to the, what I'm about to share, they had thought they already found somebody. They were moving to invite them to come and serve in the life of that church. And we, we didn't, I didn't find that story out to, to, to later. But I don't, I don't know how long, but I asked my wife again. I said, you know, um, what do you think about moving to Ottawa? And the reason I asked that was because I tried to let it go. And it was one of those things where it came across my path again. Not because I was like wholeheartedly trying to keep it in front of, you know, secretly leave it on the table so my wife can see. I wasn't doing anything like that. It just came up, and it wouldn't leave my mind. And, and so I just, I shared that with my wife, and, I, and, and she was kind of, I don't know. <laughs> well, at least let's, let's see if they want to talk. 
And sure enough, they wanted to talk. And that was the day before we, everyone is using Zoom now. We did a Zoom interview. And so, you know, got a nice shirt, didn't have to worry about what, you know, the pants looked like and put the laptop on and had a conversation. And the initial conversation was just like, do we like each other? Let's learn a little bit about each other. And the bottom line is this, we moved to Ottawa. And we were in Ottawa for five years. We got asked to, to come and serve. The, the church that we served was a large church. And it was, they had a main campus. And then they had started a second campus literally downtown. And so we had been asked to come and help that campus downtown. Average age while we were there was probably about 25 of that congregation. We were um, a little older than that, but um, felt quite older <laughs> to those that were there. And it was an incredible experience. It was some of the hardest ministry we have had, at least a, I think we have had. And I think what made it hard was we lost it. When we were there, we had, so, so we, lived, we lived right downtown. We got to, we were a 30 minute walk to Parliament Hill. We walked everywhere. There was weeks the car never moved because I could just walk or hop on a bus to go to the main office. And, and, and we, we met people in the coffee shops. We, we had people who had no idea who Jesus was. Didn't even know what it, who, my, my, my wife and my kids went over for a play date to someone's house and my wife tried, to, it's the weirdest thing trying to explain to somebody what a pastor does. But they still had, they had, they never, they never knew. Well, what is a pastor? They didn't know. We had people from multi-cultures. It was amazing to, to allow my family, my young kids to experience cultures from all around the world. And be exposed to the different views. We helped out in the Salvation Army. We were in services downtown at the, the homeless shelter and got exposed to that. Um, I got in trouble for bringing my kids to that. But I thought it was important for them to see people. We had people in our living room every week. Almost every week we ran a, a, a supper and, and Bible study. And we... And I have to tell you, there was weeks I'm like, I don't know if we're going to have enough food. Let's just put some more water in that pot and hope it lasts. And people would bring stuff, but there's a lot of sing, single people. And when a, when a, forgive me, this is not a like hit against single people. But when you come to a potluck, you bring enough for what you're used to cooking, which is for a single person. And somehow we jammed 25, 20 to 25 people in this small little home that we had. And I would just say, Lord, I don't know how we are going to feed everybody, but you need to take care of this. And we as a family poured everything we had into it. We saw people come to faith. We had about 40 to, I don't know, anywhere from 40 to 60 people on a Sunday that, that were, were involved uh, coming out. It was an incredible ministry. It was some of the hardest ministry. Because of having to go into places where they didn't want you or didn't know Jesus and having to, to literally like, do the groundwork of introducing, being the first taste of Jesus for some people. And our goal in that community was to leave a good taste because we knew some didn't have a good taste. But then the challenge became because in the midst of all of that goodness, there was also some mistakes that I made. There was, I was not able to keep up with the pace because I was trying to do too much. There's probably some identity issues around all of that. And I began to realize that I don't know if we can keep doing this. On top of that, there were some financial challenges. We, we poured everything we had, which I would never change, by the way. 
We poured everything we had financially into that. The church supported. The main site supported. But as I'm looking up and leading, I'm going, look, we got this much coming in. We're here supposed to be financially viable by this point so that the main site's not supporting us. And I don't know about you, but 22-year-olds don't have a lot of money. Lots of energy. But they had a ton of debt because they all went to university. That was great. But we were in one of the richest neighborhoods in Ottawa, and it was expensive to rent. I can't imagine what it is today. At that time, it was expensive. And I turned to the Lord, and I said, like, what, what are we to do? I can't, I can't keep this pace. And I remember having to be the one to start the conversation that nobody wanted to start. To be able to say, I don't know if we can keep doing this. To come to them and say, hey, um, so I need to be financially viable at this point, but it's going to take this long. And I'm just going to be straight up with you guys. You aren't willing to go that length. And they're all kind of like, yeah, probably not. And that hurt. I knew it was the truth. It hurt for me to be able to admit that I can't. And I asked a lot of my family while I was there. You know, I have one of my daughters with me today. My youngest is in the kids program. And, and she would, she's got great memories of Ottawa. My kids had a, an incredible experience. We met incredible people. But when we closed down that work, First off, thank God for the community around us because the church didn't just leave us. They said, hey, we don't know what you're going to do, but we don't want you going anywhere. So why don't you serve on, you just stay here. And they, they kept us around for a year at the main site and I did odd jobs. It was a weird experience for me. But it felt, it felt like someone had ripped something out of me. I still feel the... The pain and the, the grief, the loss of that dream. I had some false expectations of myself, of that moment. But have you ever, you ever put yourself into something, given it all? Have you ever had a moment where, where you, you had high hopes for something and then it, it's over? And it feels like the whole world just crashes down. In a way, I guess we've all experienced that with COVID. It literally shut us down. Even to this moment in time as we still wrestle with COVID, what it all means is, you know, the church is looking different and life isn't the same. And there were some incredible things that I, I learned in that, but God would move us eventually on to a new season, which was hard to Imagine was possible. I literally had the thoughts, who would ever hire a leader who closed a church down? Who would ever want me? And like the second story I want to share with you today about Joseph, it felt like we were in this pit. And darkness was all around us. So if you know the story of Joseph, in, in, in the book of Genesis... The story of Joseph is a pretty big story. And I believe it's a, an important story to us. There's a, something that we see in, in that story. Just before I share it, I want to read for you a quote 
that came across my, my path as, as we were ending a season that I shared. It's by a speaker or an author named Chris, C, I think it's C, it's S-E-A-Y. And he, he shares this comment. I came across this in the midst of that pain that existed in my life in that season. He, he said this, we, we need to hear it. God never promises, God never promises that our lives won't be filled with storms that devastate our personal finances, our families, and sometimes our hopes and dreams. And ultimately what the scriptures promise is that Christ will be a redeeming force in the midst of the storms that he'll always be present with us. Though we are afraid, though we feel abandoned, God never leaves. Now in that moment of time, I got that up here, but down here I didn't want to hear that. Because that might be true, but I'm in the storm and it hurts. And it's left scars, not just on me, but on my family. Now when I say that, you need to understand it's not scars because people hurt us. That's not one of, it wasn't that type of pain. Some of you know that pain. But this was truth. And, and, and I knew this. I knew that somehow in the midst of this mess, the story, that this Joseph story that, I, that came, that I wrestled through in that season was this reminder that somehow God is at work in redeeming and moving in ways. We sang it in the song, The Waymaker, the ways we don't see. Thank you for that, by the way the song this morning. God is moving. And we see it in the story of Joseph and the ancient Israelites. Let me share that story. Big story, crunch down. So Joseph is a favorite son to his father. And his older brothers, they don't like that. Maybe you have family and you're like, and, you know, if we sat down and had some coffee, be like, hey, who's the favorite child? And a parent would, at least publicly, never admit it. Um, but as kids, you kind of know. And the reality is this, we just get, we get along maybe better with some of our kids than some of our other kids. We still love our kids. But, but the story here in the, in the text actually says that, like, like the, Joseph's father seems to have really elevated Joseph amongst the other brothers. I don't know if Joseph's dad like knew something was special about this boy that was different to the other men or boys that he had had. But this, he gave him this, this special coat. There's movies and plays made about this moment in which, which kind of was an expression of, of, Joseph, of, of Joseph's father, of his, his love to his son. And the older brothers hated him for it. They were jealous because of it. Now, Joseph, when he was young, had this, and this is how his story starts with the coat and this dream. And he has a strange dream that he doesn't understand. And so he goes to his brothers, which wasn't the wisest thing to do. And he asks them, hey, uh, what do you think of this dream? And in the dream, it was his brothers and his dad, his family, all bowing down to him as, as king. And that went over well with them. Though it does say something interesting as you read through the text. The text does say his dad scolded him a little bit, but kind of put it in the back of his mind just as this like moment of reflection and maybe God's doing something. Later in the story, 
The older boys are off with the animals. They're grazing in a field. Joseph send, or Joseph's dad sends him to go check the boys out, make sure they're behaving. Maybe there was a history of mischief. I don't know. And off they go. They're not in the spot they're supposed to be. Joseph meets somebody who says, hey, I think I saw them over there. And so he starts walking t- towards them. And the boys see him coming. And, and this is how we, we, we really see the jealousy, the hatred that, that has developed. And this is what happens as jealousy and hatred are allowed to fester in our life. Is one of them speaks up and says, you know, we should, what, what if we just killed him? Like what has to happen where you get to that point in your life? Some of you come from families where you're like, no, I totally get it. Or situations. But they see him coming and so they, he, they, they, they decide to do something. And the older brother speaks up and tries to save him. And, and they put him in a, they, long story short is they end up putting him in a pit. And the goal is to leave him there. Maybe he'll die, but it wasn't them. Then they take, some, they take his robe, they rip it all up, they get an animal, they put the blood on the, the animal on there. And, and, they go, and, and the goal is they're going to go back to their dad and tell their dad, hey, we found this and uh, Joseph is, is dead. Before they leave and get to that, that moment, they, there's a caravan coming and one of the other brothers said, hey, why don't we make some money here? And so they sell him into slavery. Lovely, loving family. By the way, one of the things that... Genesis is really good at is the promise that even though we might have broken families, somehow God is at work in the midst of all that crazy mess. He's going to redeem this. But Joseph didn't know that. The brothers didn't really care. And so Joseph is, is sold off into slavery. They eventually go to Egypt where Joseph is sold into Egypt uh, into, to be a slave there. The brothers go home and for, I don't know, 25 years, the scriptures don't tell us, but we, we, we do know there's a significant amount of time. Nobody snitches about this. They all keep the secret of what happened that day and their father. Now some of you know the pain of this, of the, the loss of a child. The father has to live with this reality of his son who's gone. And for him, the dream fell apart. I'm sure he felt like something was ripped out of his chest. Uh, you know, when I, when I think of how did that play in the dynamics of the family, I'm sure it didn't help over the years. It wasn't a good way to build a healthy family for those brothers. Joseph is, is sold into slavery in Egypt. He, his dream is falling apart. He was the special boy. His brothers, I'm sure he was used to them beating him up, but they went pretty far this time. And his whole world has collapsed. Now he's a slave. And he, there is something about Joseph when you read his story. Because now he's human. I'm sure, this is a, I'm sure he went through the pain of the moment. But at some point, I am convinced he went, okay, this is where I am. And he made a decision, God's with me. God's going to somehow figure this out. And I'm going to walk forward. And he became favored in the midst of of Potter's house. This, This ruler in Egypt. 
This individual who had power in the house of Pharaoh and he served. He served so well in the season that he was in that his master put him in charge of all his house. He literally became the steward of his master's house. He could do anything. His word was his master's word. He was put in charge. Kind of like how God puts us in charge of things. Let's just take care of his responsibilities. And, and something, things are going well, right? We've moved up the ranks. Life is as good as it can get for that day as a slave. Things are good. He's got food. He's got resources. But his master's wife wanted more. His master's wife, not once, but a number of times, tried to get Joseph to sleep with him. Joseph refused. Joseph said, I can't out of my obedience to God. And because the master said, I can have anything, but I can't have you. And there's this moment where, where he runs away and his, the master's wife gets, gets a uh, piece of his clothing and screams. And, well, it doesn't go well for Joseph. She blames him. Because of the, this moment, Joseph is thrown into prison, another pit, and everything is gone. There are one of those moments where you're going in a direction, you feel like everything's going right, you're doing everything you can, and you do what is right, and you still lose. That's what happened to Joseph, and down into prison he goes. I don't know if Joseph, the scripture is quite clear to us that God's favor was upon Joseph. Things that he did just seemed to go well. And so in prison, there's a whole bunch of things that go on in there. The bottom line is he, he makes some new friends. He helps, he serves in the midst of that darkness, that valley that he is in. He tries to rebuild it's somebody in the midst of his story, again, there's lots going on here. I'm crunching it down. Somebody who got out of prison that was working for Pharaoh. Pharaoh had this, had this dream, and nobody could interpret it. And the guy who had got out of prison remembered this relationship he had with Joseph. Joseph had this weird thing where he would interpret dreams, and they'd come true. And so... He had, he had shared, maybe we need Joseph's help. And so they bring Joseph in front of Pharaoh, and, and there's this weird dream. Again, you've got to read it for yourself. I'd encourage you just to you know, take a week and just reflect on the story. Bottom line is, the interpretation is there's going to be, be years of, 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 uh, of greatness and years of famine. And so Joseph's put in charge of managing everything so that Egypt will get through the, the famine that's coming. Because of the famine, uh, it, it had gone on for about two years, and Joseph's, his family, not the Egyptian family he had now, but the family that sold him into slavery comes to Egypt because they're starving like everybody. And they get there, and they're begging for food, and it's their turn. They, Joseph's in charge, and, and the scriptures share with us that they, they're in front of Joseph, and Joseph knows who they are. Remember, he's got his Egyptian clothes on now. He's looking like an Egyptian. And at this point, they don't know who he is. And if I'm Joseph, and I recognize who that is, at least initially, now it says Joseph broke down, but initially I probably don't have good thoughts in my mind. Because this is the moment of like, does he get revenge? 
Does he, has, has he moved on? All the pain of what was comes back. He tests them. And the bottom line is this. He eventually reveals them himself to them. And it says... Oh, look at that. I forgot to mark it down. So now i got to find it. I was going to read for us what he says to them. Let me paraphrase it because he says, Hey, you had evil. Your intention was evil. And when, I, when, I, when you read through it, you hear the, the loss that he had, but then he talks about, but God, your intentions were evil. What happened was evil. It didn't feel good. What happened was the loss of dreams, and not only did you hurt your dad, their father, they hurt Joseph. And what he says is, but God, God had something bigger going on. And what you intended for evil, God has brought about good. And I wonder in the moment, if, if it was in that moment that Joseph remembered the dream of his family bowing down before him. And there is, when, when we read the story, there's this kind of like red thread that flows through Joseph's story. Of God's at work, redeeming, pushing Joseph so that he's in the right place to be able to help his family, his people, and be able to take to care for them. And we see grace and mercy from Joseph, all of these characteristics that we are, God calls us to. At this point, I'm pretty sure he had worked through all of his worry and his grief and his pain. And somehow he was able to see and have insight that there is something bigger going on. All of these stories, we are reminded that the same can be true for us. That yes, we experience the loss of dreams in our life. But we also have a God that's at work, weaving in the midst of our lives. When we lost our, and I use the word lost, but it's actually inappropriate because it's, it wasn't a failure, our ministry, that closed. One of the words or terms that we used during that time was, the story isn't over. And we recognized that for a season, God had called us to do something. I was challenged by a leader who said to me, Matthew, and this is one of those moments when I like, felt horrible. If God made this grow, would you have celebrated him, given praise to him? And I said, of course. He said, well, why not now? God's with you. God's there. He's guiding you. He's walking with you. What if for a season this was your job, just to do this, just to introduce that person? God's at work. And if we can remember anything from those stories, I think that's what I want us to be able to, to remember. It's those words that God never, never promises that our lives won't be filled with storms that devastate us. That devastate our personal finances or our families, 
or hopes or dreams. But ultimately what the scriptures do promise is that Christ will be a redeeming force in the midst of our life. Though we might feel abandoned, trust me, Joseph knew that when he was in the pits. Come on, God, I thought you were guiding me. How could I be here again? He doesn't leave us. Charles Spurgeon said, my dear friend, when when grief presses you to the dirt, worship there. Because of time, I'm going to skip some of my personal reflections. And I just want to give us space this morning to be with Jesus. To be able to recognize where you are. And maybe there's a lost dream. Maybe you're at a point where you're not, you haven't lost something. And this is just a moment to say, thank you, Jesus. Or maybe there's someone you're walking with and you can bring them to him. Because, you know, I had a friend recently who, who lost his, his wife. And we, we ran into each other at the market and I just simply said, I, I have no words. I, I don't know what to say. And he was like, I don't know what to say either. And then we just kind of stood there. Just in the moment... And there's no better place for us to be able to do that in his presence. Because Christ has this way of redeeming our stories. And your story is not over. You might feel it's over, but it's not. I asked Steve if I could pray for us. And so I want to lead us just in a moment of of prayer this morning. I want to give us space to be able to just bring our failed dreams to him. Whatever that loss might be. Invite him to redeem our story. And for some of you, it might mean getting on a new bike. See, that, that, it, that old dream, I can't go back. I got to move forward. And so maybe it's helped me. So let's pray. And bow our heads before him today. There is a name that can silence every fear. And there's a love that embraces the heartache and the pain and the tears in which we shed. Father, I pray for those today who are doubting, who feel like they are failing, who know that you promised to be there, but they can't see the light because, like Joseph, they're in the pit. And we sing songs that you have the whole world in your hand, but to be frank, Lord, right now that is not how we feel. So, Father, I pause because you're greater than me, and I just give an an opportunity for my brothers and sisters to be able to bring their worries to you in the midst of the trial that they are in. So, church, take a moment to do that.
And you're in our darkness, in our trials, you are faithful, you are true. Help us to know the steps that we need to take. Spirit, fall upon us. Redeem us, redeem our stories. That as Christ came out of that grave, Lord, lift us up. We need to learn, if we need to learn how to ride a new bike, then give us that skill. If it's about dusting the dust off our kneecaps and getting going, help us to do that. Help us to be a people who encourage, who lift up and support each other. And when dreams are failing or have failed, may we still be able to see the light of Christ and who we are in you, that the dream has not failed, or that we have not failed. With open hearts, I pray and beg for those who are in the midst of loss that you would comfort and bring restoration.